Good morning. We are heading into July and still meeting online for worship. Although we're looking at the regathering options for our facility, both inside and outside, there just isn't an opportunity yet to open the building wide open and then let as unlimited numbers of people in. So thank you for being patient with us. And thank you for filling out the survey that we just sent out that was about this, about how you felt about, felt about returning to the facility. It did show us that meeting under very safe guidelines is significantly important to you. And it also showed us that a significant number of you would rather at this point continue to worship online. This helps us. This helps us to move forward by staying united while considering all the options. Now, I also can't say thanks to you enough for the giving that you keep doing to God's work through Princeton Alliance Church. I've said it before, but I have to thank you again. It's been amazing the giving that you have uh, allowed us to share in so that we can meet needs of people. And we continue to do that in major ways. Tens of thousands of dollars just this week was being divided up between our five partner countries overseas who are struggling deeply financially because of COVID. So thank you so much for doing that. Now, on another note entirely, congratulations, because you've also read halfway through the Bible. At the end of this month, you will have gotten through 50% of our Through the Bible in the Year plan. And I still encourage those of you who haven't been reading along with us to jump on board, download the app, follow it, and read each week. You can read the first half in 2021. The reason I encourage you is because you'll find that you, through the week, are reading scripture passages that then we will talk about during worship on Sundays, and you'll get a better grasp of those passages. So I still encourage you to do that. Now, this week, for those of you who have been reading, have been reading about good kings and bad kings, mostly bad kings because of the 39 kings of both Israel and Judah. And by this time in the books of Kings and Chronicles, the nation is divided. 10 tribes to the north have split off and they're called Israel and two tribes in the south remain and they're called Judah. Total, they had 39 kings, 30 of which were evil and nine were good. And the percentage is worse for the majority of the country, the 10 tribes to the north, who of their 19 kings, only had one that was godly. This is the country that was chosen by God. This is the country that was blessed by God. This was the country that was delivered from slavery by God, who now are not following God. And so these stories that you've been reading this week are really about following God and or following what scripture calls the world. God or the world, and both have power. The world has power, and of course, God has power as well. So I want to look at a passage this morning that's familiar to many of you that is a direct confrontation between the powers of God and the powers of the world. And it's personified by two individuals, and those two individuals are Ahab, the king of Israel, and Elijah, the prophet of God. Now, before I actually read the passage, let me give you a little background. By the time you get to 1 Kings 18, where the story is found, 
Israel is in a huge famine because God has created a drought. He's held back the rains because of their disobedience. Elijah was the one who announced this, and it hasn't rained for three and a half years. Elijah makes the announcement to the king and his wife Jezebel and then takes off. Jezebel's furious. She wants to kill him but can't find him, so she starts to kill all the other prophets of God. And in chapter 18, we run into Ahab with another man named Obadiah. Obadiah is a man of God and eventually becomes a prophet. They're looking for water, and Obadiah runs into Elijah. So let me read, starting at verse 7 and reading through verse 20 of 1 Kings 18. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord, Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, meaning Obadiah, how have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say he's not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you. I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he will kill me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives, behold, whom I stand, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you troubler of Israel? And he, meaning Elijah, answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. So let's just stop there. Because let me first talk about the power of the world demonstrated through Ahab that we just saw in that section of the story. First of all, Ahab has the power to take life. He's done it. He's let his wife do it. Jezebel kills all the prophets with no impunity. She gets away with it completely. Nobody can stop her, right? He has the power to take life. Secondly, he has the power to create fear. You can see the fear that's in Obadiah's life, who doesn't even want to go and tell him that Elijah is here. He creates fear. The world can do that. The world has the power to say whatever it wants, because Ahab can say whatever he wants. And so when he confronts Elijah, he says, is it you, you troubler of Israel? That's just a different way of saying, here's the jerk who caused all these problems. And this is the prophet of God who he's talking about. He doesn't fear God, and he certainly fears no earthly power. 
And lastly, he has the power to command an entire country to do as he wishes. So when he gets done talking with Elijah, he goes back to his people. He says, everybody goes to Mount Carmel and everybody goes to Mount Carmel. Ever witness power like that in today's world? Power of people in authority to create fear, to demand, to demand people to move, to say whatever without impunity, to take the lives of other people. Bashar al-Assad of Syria is a king. He's been there for years. He has destroyed in absolute control large portions of his own country with no concern at all for the life of his people. Aung San Suu Kyi and uh, Win Mint, who are the leaders of Myanmar, have not stopped. They've allowed this ethnic cleansing of the Rohingya to go on in their country for years. Everybody knows the name Kim Jong-un of North Korea. Now, I just named three countries that show the same kind of power that Ahab has. Now, put yourself in one of those three countries as its citizen and then stand up against the powers to be. That's what Obadiah was facing. It's not easy. That's the power of the world demonstrated through Ahab. Well, the contest begins. So let me read what happens next. Everybody's at Mount Carmel. So I'm going to read verses 21 to 24. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? I love that verb, limping. How long are you going to be over here? Maybe I'll follow Baal and then over here, maybe I'm going to follow God, right? So they're just limping along between these two different opinions, not making any difference in the world whatsoever. If the Lord is God, he says, follow him. And if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word because they're still limping, right? Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets, he probably points to them over on the side, are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and then let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you, meaning the prophets of Baal, you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, they're not limping now, it is well spoken. So the challenge is laid down, an incredible challenge. And what happens is early in the morning, the prophets of Baal go first. And so they cut up their bull and they start marching around the altar and calling for Baal to send fire. And they're screaming and they're yelling and they're chanting. And it says they began to cut themselves so the blood flowed because that's what they do. And that went on for hours so that finally uh, Elijah intervenes. And Elijah intervenes and it says this, at noon... Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud for he's a God. Either he is amusing or he is relieving himself or he is on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and he must be awakened. So Elijah starts to mock them, right? And so they finally give up around noontime. It's about midday and they finally give up because they're exhausted. So now it's Elijah's turn. And of course, no fire from heaven fell because there's no such thing as Baal. So here's Elijah, starting at verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, 
come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. Remember, the kingdom was divided 10 tribes to the north, two tribes to the south. But Elijah says, you're all supposed to be one. So I'm building this altar with all 12 stones. Israel is your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seas of seed. That's about seven liters. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And then he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran down around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Now, you remember it took the prophets of Baal hours for no answer? I read you the time it took, Elijah, that one prayer. How long did it take? About 30 seconds. And fire comes down and consumes everyone, everything. And then in verse 39, he goes on, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. No more limping. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. And after the prophets were killed and all the people were following the Lord, then Elijah tells Ahab, go home, I'm going to pray for rain, and rain comes because Elijah prayed to the God who has power to send the rain. So we looked at the power of the world demonstrated through Ahab. Now let's look at the power of God demonstrated through Elijah. And first, before we even get to this chapter, remember the context. They're in a famine that's caused because God had the power to stop the rains. And Ahab couldn't say a thing because no matter what he did, the rains didn't come. It's interesting that scripture scripture actually says that God is no respecter of person. And then the illustration it uses is to say because he sends the sunshine and the rain on both the good and the evil, which is absolutely true. But this story also demonstrates he still reserves the power to change nature itself. He has the power to change nature itself. That's the power of God demonstrated through Elijah. He also has the power to justify the faithful and destroy the wicked. He does both. He justifies Elijah and he destroys all the prophets of Baal. They all lose their life that day. And if you feel that's too harsh a judgment, remember that these 450 prophets led an entire nation away from the only God that exists and the only one who can give them eternal life. 
He also has the power to command the kings of the earth. And it was demonstrated through Elijah. Who actually ordered the people to come to Mount Carmel? Well, the ordinary answer would be Ahab. Ahab went and said, look, we're all going to Mount Carmel. There's going to be a face-off and nobody stays home. But why did he do it? He did it because Elijah told him to do it. Elijah was the one who actually ordered the people there. He said, now you go home and you tell all those people to come. And Ahab did as he was told because the power is with God to command the kings of the earth. He does it at the end of the story when he tells Ahab, okay, all the people have returned to the Lord. So go home because the rains are coming. And without a word, Ahab goes home. And God also demonstrating through Elijah how it's the power to bless both good and evil. I referred to that verse before. But it's true. He sends the rain on the good, the people who repented, as well as the evil, King Ahab himself, just because Elijah prayed. Now, this is where I don't want you to miss a very important truth, okay? So put down a cup of coffee and a cinnamon bun, right? This is important. Don't miss it. We've been celebrating the power of God that is greater than any worldly power that you can find down here. But what Elijah also demonstrates is that we ordinary mortals can have incredible courage because of this power that God has. God did not act alone. He used Elijah. And centuries later, the brother of Jesus named James is going to convert and follow Jesus and he's going to write a book and it's the book of James. And when he gets to chapter five, verse 17, he says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like us, like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. What is James talking about? What event is James discussing? In chapter 5, he's talking about what we just read in 1 Kings 18. Happened centuries before, but he says that demonstrates what? That Elijah is a marvelous person that no one can imitate? Just the opposite. His first line, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. James is saying, this is us. This is who we can be. This is about the power of God that can give us the courage to be the people of God. What kind of courage? Well, the courage to stand up to any worldly power. Obadiah eventually did it. He did it when he hid those prophets from Jezebel. He did it again when he went to get Ahab to come see Elijah. And Elijah stood up to the powers and he didn't care. It gives us the courage to ask for the impossible. Fire from heaven? Really? He asked God to send fire from heaven. That's the impossible. He also gives us courage to go the extra mile to show God's power. Not only did he do more than the prophets of Baal who got no fire to come on their bull, right? But he actually doused his with water three times before the fire came and wiped out everything that was there. Courage to go the extra mile to show God's power. I lived in Thailand for 14 years I've shared this story before about Thailand, so those of you who've been here a long time know it, but there's many of you, since I shared it a long time ago, that haven't heard this story. There was a time when I was living in Bangkok, and my office was near this little hole-in-the-wall restaurant, right? 
nothing much to look at, but they had the best fried rice that anybody could make in Thailand. And so I would go there often for lunch. I got to know the owners and they got to know me and they were Buddhist and I was Christian. And we talked about a lot of things and we talked about religion a little bit as well. Then one day in May, I was eating lunch there. And as the owner was serving me, she just said, now remember, it's going to rain today um, because we just had the plowing ceremony. So make sure you get everything done early or at least take an umbrella out. Now, Rain in Thailand is incredibly important because the most uh, prolific crop that they have is rice, which needs a lot of water. But there's only a partial time where there's a rainy season. It runs from about May to November. Then it's dry from December all the way till May and the rains come again. And in order to procure that rain, what the people of Thailand believe is they have a plowing ceremony that basically is saying this one's sure the rains to come. The king presides over it. Um, it happens in front of the Grand Palace. An ox is brought in with a plow, um, and it plows part of the ground in front of the Grand Palace, and there's Buddhist priests there, and they're chanting and praying, and they throw seed in there and ask for to have a great rainy season. So she's sure that here in Bangkok, every year, it rains the day they have that plowing ceremony, and it's going to rain today. So as I was sitting there, I said, so you're sure it's going to rain because you had the plowing ceremony, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to rain in Bangkok today, hands down. Okay. And you know I'm a Christian, right? Yeah. And you know that I believe there's a God of creation that created all of us and has control over things like rain. Yeah, I know. That's what you believe. So you say it's going to rain because of the plowing ceremony. What if I pray and ask God to not allow it to rain in Bangkok for this day? and he holds back the rain. What would you say to that? Well, it's not going to happen because it's going to rain. We had the plowing ceremony. It doesn't matter what you do. Really? Okay. Well, I'm going to do that. I'm going to ask God that today in Bangkok, it doesn't rain. Just today, because I want you to have a great growing season. I want there to be a lot of rain. But just today, I'm going to ask him to not let it rain. And then I'm going to come back here and have lunch tomorrow. And if it doesn't rain, I get to eat free. If it does rain, I'll pay you double. Okay, so I leave. And of course, that's the last thing I ate for the rest of the day because I fasted and prayed and asked God to do this thing saying, okay, Lord, I think that was your spirit leading me. I'm in this now. I got some skin in this game, right? Don't let it rain today. And it didn't. And I went back there for lunch the next day. And I sat there eating and they didn't say anything. So eventually I couldn't keep it inside anymore. And I said, hey, by the way, did it rain in Bangkok today, uh, yesterday? Uh, no. Yeah, that's because I prayed. Oh, but they said, yeah, but it rained somewhere in Thailand, I'm sure. Oh, Thailand. We were talking about Bangkok. Okay. So I didn't bring it up anymore, but I was thinking, oh, shoot, I was looking for a really good opportunity. But then when I got done my meal, I went to pay for my meal and she wouldn't take my money because she knew that my God stopped that rain. The power is God. The courage is up to us. The power gives us the courage. There are all kinds of powers in this world. 
And there are so many ways, and it's hard to navigate through them all. And we can get tempted by different powers. John Stumbo, who is the president of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, actually looked at one chapter in the Bible, um, Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are in Philippi and they begin preaching. People come to the Lord. They cast the demon out of a woman. Um, people get mad. They drag him for the magistrates. They're beaten. They're thrown in prison. The prison um, is shaken loose by God and they're free. And so many things happen. And I actually wrote down, he looks at that chapter through the eyes of all the different powers that there are. And I wrote it down. Let me read to you what he sees in that chapter. He says, and some of them are good and some of them are bad. I'm not just talking about all worldly powers, right? They're all mixed up in here um, because you see Paul and Silas begin to preach and people are persuaded that maybe this Jesus is real. That's the power of persuasion. And some of them actually come to Christ and that's the power of God to open hearts. But then this woman who's demon possessed begins screaming and causing disturbance so people won't listen. And so that's the power of Satan to get into this. And it says, Paul became so annoyed, he just turned around and said, you come out of her demon. And it happens, which is both the power of annoyance in Paul's life, but also the power of God to deliver us from anything, including demons that we see in this woman's life. But this woman was a slave of a man who was using her to tell fortunes and making a lot of money because she had the demon in her. But now demon's gone, he's gonna lose all of his money and he was ticked off. That's the power of money to change this guy's attitude. And so he gets angry and you have the power of anger and he begins to spread a lie that says, Paul is preaching against all the customs of the city, which is not true, he's just preaching Jesus. And that's the power of the lie. And then a crowd gets behind him and starts getting angry at Paul and Silas. And that of course is the power of the mob. And so the magistrates have to come in and they figure I have to appease the crowd. So they whip Paul and Silas, strip the shirts off and whip them. That's the power of brutal force and also the power of humiliation. They throw them in jail. That's the power of isolation. But while they're there, Paul and Silas begin to sing praises to God. That's the power of worship to rise up out of any situation. And God answers by destroying the prison without hurting anybody so they're all free. That's the power of God to deliver even in physical situations. The jailer there is scared to death because all the people he's supposed to be watching are going to get away now. So he has the power of fear overcoming him to the point that he wants to kill himself. But Paul says, no, we're not going to run away. That's the power of a timely word. And so he falls on his knees before Paul and says, what must I do to be saved? That's the power of conviction. And Paul says, well, just believe in Jesus. That's the power of the gospel. And his whole family comes to the Lord. And he even takes Paul and Silas home. And now he's not afraid what happens to him. And he feeds them and binds their wounds. That's the power of a transformed life. Then when it comes time for them to leave, the, the magistrates were going to just let him go. But Paul is a Roman citizen who is beaten without a trial, which is illegal. And so he says, you can't just do that. You have to come say you're sorry, which they do. There's the power of politics. So many types of powers in this world. And it's easy to stray. And it's difficult for the people of God to manage all those powers and not get tempted in the wrong direction. Even Elijah himself. 
right after this in the very next chapter, Jezebel says to him, and now I'm going to kill you. And through fear, he runs away, runs up in the mountains and says, God takes my life. I don't care anymore. It's difficult to manage, but it's not impossible. In fact, it brings glory to God when we do manage it correctly. You know, everyone is talking about the new normal, the new normal. We're not going to stay like this forever. We're doing only things that are online, okay? But we won't be the same church after this. And it's not just because of COVID-19. It's because God has opened our eyes to how well we can help the needy and need to stand with those who are suffering injustice. Because he has demonstrated how he can create a heart of generosity in us to levels that we never imagined that we could reach. It's because he has developed relationships between us and communities that we didn't have relationships with before that I'm sure he wants us to continue. And it's because we live in a world of people in power that create fear, but he can overcome. Be courageous as we step out. The power is God's. The courage is up to us. Father, thank you for Elijah, a man of faith and courage, but a man who has a nature just like us. And his faith and courage were based on the fact that he knew God personally. He knew this was the God of all power. And that was the foundation that it was hard for him to stray from. Thank you for Elijah as an example of who we are supposed to be. I thank you for Ahab. I thank you for that example of how far you can go in the other direction that's just wrong. Don't let us get be tempted by that. Thank you for this incredible lesson that's so clear in this chapter about the powers of the world and the powers of God. We stand on the foundation of the powers of God. And knowing that that power can turn us into the courageous people of God. It may take us a little while like Obadiah. We may jump into it like Elijah. But thank you, because at the bottom of it is both your power to give us the courage and the glory goes back to you because you're the one who infused us with the spirit and the hope and the power that comes from God alone. Yes, there's going to be a new normal. But because of this new normal, may we be more like the people of God that you always wanted us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.